This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ghosts, murders, suicide, all kinds of stuff. It's perfect for this time of year. It's the Halloween season and Kansas City is not short on anything when it comes to haunted houses and crazy stories. This month, Diane Houston and I sit down and talk about a haunted house in 1876 that led to a character known as Sans Hopkins. Well, it is the Halloween season, Diane, and of course that means haunted houses all around Kansas City. And maybe I'm mistaken by this, maybe I'm not, but man, I guess the haunted houses appear here in Kansas City like they do because this town is haunted and has been since like the, the uh, it's not the bicentennial, but since the centennial 1876, the first sighting of ghosts in Kansas City, huh? Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you read these old headlines and, you know, I kind of, you know, I don't know, a little background that a lot of the idea of seances and it kind of emerged during the Victorian era. So when you get into the 1850s, 60s, post-Civil War, especially post-Civil War, that these things absolutely became kind of a fascination. And yeah, I mean, they they went straight to the oldest buildings in town and thought they were haunted and even sent the cops in to, to check it out. You know, it's crazy. You know, people don't really go on like ghost hunts all that much anymore. I mean, like maybe you see something on Discovery or whatnot, but you don't hear like back in the day when we were growing up in the 80s, you always heard about ghosts and things like that. Ghosts mm-hmm. aren't something people talk about anymore. Have we gotten smarter, wiser over the years or do we just give up and go out ah, the hell with it? There's other things to focus on now. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's still a lot of uh, you know fascination with the paranormal, whether you believe in it or not. And I mean, I think part of it is that we we naturally in Kansas City want to ghost hunt, if you will, in these older buildings that are usually on National Register or are run by foundations. And sometimes they don't really want to dip their hand into the supernatural pot, <laughs> a place mm-hmm. that they work or whatever. But you know, you have places like the Wardle House and uh, Harris Carding House that do ghost tours still. Um, but then you have places like Shawnee Indian Mission that used to do them, but now it's a little sensitive over there. So they're 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 not you know calling for the spirits anymore. I went on a ghost tour there. Yeah, I was I was the celebrity guest of the of the place. <laughs> <laughs> so did you see any? Because I've never seen a ghost. I've never seen anything that resembles a ghost. I don't know that I believe per se that there are yeah. ghosts out there. But ha- did you see one? Did you come across anything cool? It was pretty crazy. I'm not going to lie. I, it was, it, I did the test run with this paranormal company and, uh, and then we did it live with people around us, which was pretty great. And it became, there was at one point we were on the second story of the building that's closed there, which is the West building. Um, and it's the, one, it's the oldest building there and 1839. 
and we're inside there and we're on a second story and there's no like deck or, you know, anything like that on the second floor. And just out of nowhere, we just like this cat was meowing. Like, where is that coming from? This is, this isn't, I mean, there's, there was no explanation. Um, it was, it was pretty crazy. I'm not going to lie. But, you know, when you look at these older stories, uh, you know, of that fascination beginning in the 1870s, and I ran across this clipping in the newspaper, and I was like, and, they, and it, I could tell that there were other stories attached to it. So I had to, like, you know, of course, look into it. And I'm like, oh, my ghost on the levee. And, of course, that's fascinating because that is the oldest place. That's where Westport Landing was. And it kind of led me into this story of one of the ghost hunters, if you will, who had this crazy life. And, and again, I was like, happy Halloween. Kansas City. I've got a story for you. <laughs> yeah, well, let's start with that. 1876, the, the old Gillis House Hotel downtown. It's reportedly haunted. And you mentioned when we started this thing, Diane, that there were cops. I mean, that like that's what mm-hmm. we used to be do back in the day. We call the police. Oh my God, there's a ghost. We had a stakeout and then the cops didn't do anything. And that's where we first meet Sands Hopkins, who, who I'm going to call like the regulator of the ghosts in Kansas City. Like Apparently. this dude saddled up, grabbed a gun, and he's ready to go shoot ghosts with his boys. And, you know, that tells you how like far in the times we were, because if you fire through a ghost, it's not going to hit it. It's a ghost. You know, you can't hit a ghost (laughs) or anything like that. But it became something that like everybody in town was talking about and wanted to know if the Gillis house was haunted. Yes. And the Gillis house is super, was super historic. Of course, we'd like to tear things down. Um, It's down on the levee. So if you go to the town of Kansas Bridge, you can actually still see some of the foundations from it. It was a, it was a massive brick hotel first to Kansas City built in 1849 by Benoist Trost and, uh, and his, uh, his, I should say Benoist second wife, uh, was, uh, William Gillis's niece. It's very confusing that, you know, there weren't a lot of people around back. Well, then, okay? I was going to say that back then, I mean, you, you know, you married the family next door to you because that was the only family that was there. I mean, so you really didn't have you know, yeah. much of a choice of dating because there was nobody else around. Exactly. So this place was was a hopping establishment and has a really cool history. I'm sure someday we can get into. But what ends up happening is that the Gillis House Hotel would have been right on the levee. So right on the water, if you will, the Missouri River. And it spanned quite a bit of space um, between Delaware and Wyandotte streets. And it, I mean, it was before First Street. This is Water Street. So it's just right there on the water, which sounded um, flooding, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and this place was massive and it's, you know, they had like kind of a, a hostel type of situation and part of it were 20 beds for the cheapest price, a huge dining room table that could feed 60 at a time. And this place was the place essentially that ca- people that stopped in Kansas City when it was a fledgling city would go. And this guy, Sands Hopkins, which I had never heard of. Great name, though, by the way. Great name, yeah. Great name. Um, Sands was born in Kentucky in 1859. And by 1860, and I think even maybe even earlier than that, um, he comes with his family, essentially, to Kansas City. And uh, his dad was a doctor, but ended up basically buying Gillis House Hotel, along with his uh, brother, and this would be Sands' uncle named Charles. And they bought a ton of real estate up in Kersey Coates, which of course, Coates Opera House, Coates Hotel, was a great friend of the families and he was pro-union. So I'm going to pretty much bet on the fact that these guys are going to both be pro-union at the time. 
And so they are. And when you say pro union, you're not talking labor union. You're talking no, union I'm talking versus like, confederacy. Yeah, right? yes. against slavery. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. So, so uh, on the right side of history. Correct. So, uh, so Kersey Coates was uh, went into business dealings with these guys, and as Kansas City quickly grew, I mean, your money grows. And so the, um, this kid, Sands, would have grown up living in Gillis House Hotel, which I'm sure. Can you imagine the stories this guy would have had? Oh yeah. So I mean, crazy. So he ends up, um, you know, his father passes away early. So he's born in 1859. And then his father is gone by 1867. His mom is gone by 1869. So all of the property that Sands now has inherited, which is a ton of money, including the Gillis House Hotel, goes in the kind of the care of his uncle. And his uncle takes it, sends him off to University of Notre Dame. And he gets Which is a great place to go. Yeah. yeah. You're going to Notre Dame for four years. Go study. Go get your education. Come back. We got money waiting for you. Right. And a lot of these universities have. Just like a Leewood kid, huh? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, like you get those boarding houses. And I think it, to be specific, a lot of these universities in Columbia University in, in Columbia, Missouri was the same way. Uh, they were Columbia College. They would have boarding facilities. So it was almost like the rich folks sending your kids off to boarding school. So he was even attending like Notre Dame when he was not in even a college yet. He did graduate from there with honors and he comes back to Kansas City and, you know, he's got a bunch of money. He barely, he like works for like a year and then he's like, eh, I'm good. And his uncle just kept giving him money, which is probably kind of, oh, that's dangerous. And he had a reputation, this Sands Hopkins fella, of being one that liked the drink and liked the gamble and he liked the ladies. So and, he was uh, basically a person from 1875, 1880, 1890, back in the day, gamble women and whiskey, right? Yeah, that's what it was. And he was, you know, so he gets he gets down into the to the trenches. And this whole story about the on the levee, which got me interested, was that there were reports by that were reported to the police that there was this strange spirit that was going in and out of the bluffs and it was disappearing. And they, some described it as a woman uh, dressed in all white with, you know, just a ghastly face. And then it disappeared when they tried chasing after it. And then other people said it was a man dressed up as a woman. I mean, this thing was, I mean, it, it was comical to read. So these two officers go down to the levee to investigate. And supposedly one of them gets in a, in a physical fight with the spirit, mm-hmm. if you will. And uh, just as they're ready to handcuff the spirit, which, of course, I how are questions. you in a physical fight with a spirit? <laughs> first of all, it's like you're punching through air, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Well, who knows? I love this. The newspaper made a point of saying that they the, the, the officers went down there carrying pistols, ropes, lanterns. And holy water. <laughs> and holy water. The holy water thing was funny to me because I'm looking at all that stuff that they went down there with. And I'm like, of all things, the holy water was probably the thing that was the most valuable at that time because you can't shoot a ghost. You can't tie up a ghost. You can't handcuff a ghost. And so yeah. maybe you could throw some holy water on them and maybe that causes the ghost to kind of, you yeah. know, become holy, if you will. We don't want any exorcisms in 1876. So right. you know, hopefully that wouldn't have happened. I Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, who knows? you know, who knows, right? But but essentially this made the papers. It became a huge deal. And of course, it, it, by 1876, the Sands Hopkins, like they still own the hotel, but it's not even really being used as a hotel. It's kind of just like the slum apartments. <laughs> like nobody, because by the time the railroad moved in, no one was, steamboat traffic stopped for the most part. So the whole idea of the Santa Fe trail traffic stopped. So there weren't a lot of people. So they repurposed the building. There was even talk of um, donating the Gillis House Hotel to be the city hospital. 
Um, and the city turned him down because the city doesn't know a good deal when it sees it. Yeah, right. So, Still to this day. Yeah. I mean, you know, history repeating itself. So, oh, yeah. you know, in any case, so so this ghost uh, gets the attention of Sands Hopkins, who's fresh back from university and probably had a couple booze and, you know, went down there with his gun and his friend and says, let's, let's go into the hotel and see if we can find the ghost. And he goes chasing through the hotel and they, they were going to sleep there overnight and they woke up in the middle of the night through the creaking floors. And I mean, this, the way this is written is it's fascinating. I mean, it, it, it could have gone on for days about how fascinating this was in the long story. They, they, they chased this white figure throughout the hotel and, you know, it would have been old for Kansas city. It was built in 18, you know, 49. So uh, anyway, they chase this thing through the, and they're shooting guns off like yeah, right. <laughs> because I guess they didn't know yet that that's just not effective. But um, in any case, I think they also wanted a reason to shoot their guns off. They need like um, laser guns and try to, you know, with green slime and stuff <laughs> to try to catch the ghosts. Seriously. I know. Where's the Ouija board? Right. So, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, they, they end up, you know, going back to bed. This thing disappears. Up to, like they saw it go up the attic stairs and all of this. And the next morning they went up to the attic, you know, and they found a, actually a deceased dead dog, a white dog with bullet holes in it. So oh, there you go. That's your whoops, ghost. There was your ghost. I don't know how that, how a big dog was wrestling with, you know, the, the police, but whatever. So this guy, of course, when I read that story, I was like, I got to find a way to learn more about this. And so when I started looking into him, I was like, oh, well, he just wrote his own story. And so, I mean, fascinating guy. So by 1881, he's, he's like I said before, he was a ladies man. By 1881, he he settles down. Everyone's like, "Thank God," because this guy's a little out of control. This guy's and, become a town menace at the at the time, I guess. Well, huh? he, he was making headlines, and, yeah. and you you got to kind of figure at the time. There's really three newspapers, and he's circulating through all of them. And and whether it's real estate deals or it's um, you know little run-ins here and there with the law, you know, writing people off. I mean, he's he he stayed pretty consistent in the headlines. So, in any case, he gets married to a lady named Fanny McGee. Not like McGee the Street, but Ma Gee, M-A-G-E. She's from Independence, Missouri. She was originally from Kentucky. So she's an out-of-towner back then if you're from Independence, right? Somebody's from Kansas City. Hey, you're an out-of-towner. Oh, for sure. He had to get the fancy carriage up there to pick her up. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, seriously, though. And and I think her dad was in the hotel business, too. Maybe that's how they met. I don't know. Um, Because Stan's family kind of stays in the hotel business. So, by the way, he lived in, like, hotels his whole life Uh what's the point you know um so anyway he marries her in january of 1881 and um they're they're, you know super happy and his uncle's like good he's finally going to get his you know head out of his butt and get you know get his act a nice lady exactly and you know and he's in his 20s at this point so in any case well wedded bliss did not last too long so they lost a child and then um after the uh, they lost a child two years and two weeks after they their, their wedding anniversary so fresh marriage um they it's just january 29th 1883 he is uh parking his carriage into the carriage house and his wife comes out to greet him which is a normal thing they go inside hand in hand and she goes and sits by the uh by the stove to keep warm in a rocking chair and she's reading a book called a day of fate oh gosh <laughs> dun dun yeah, it's like, could I? I mean, it writes itself. So, so anyway, she's sitting there reading this this book, and her husband Sands had saw some. He saw some rabbit tracks outside, and I guess he was hungry. I don't know. I didn't know. I didn't know rich people needed to eat some rabbit, but whatever. He sees some rabbit tracks, and he's like, "I'm gonna." Rich get people are rich because they don't spend money. <laughs> yes, he, he did though. Yeah. He was, all he did was spend money. 
So anyway, he gets his gun, his, his, his shotgun, and he's going to clean it because he's going to be ready for the rabbits to return. I mean, this is, you already know. It's like, this isn't going to go well. This isn't going to so, go well. <laughs> so he goes and he sits down by his wife. And for some reason, he went ahead and loaded the shotgun. Uh, it was already partially loaded. And he was oiling the gun in his hand slip. And, he, and this is a direct quote from Sands. He says, as I pulled back the hammer of the barrel, I, it slipped from my fingers. And then the gun went off like a noise, like thunder. And then all of a sudden, his wife just, bam, gets done. the wall, done. Yeah. And so then he says, it was horrible. He says, the charge of the gun tore my poor wife's head partially off. But when I grabbed her, she was dead. Oh, my God. It was awful. Awful. Oh. Could you imagine something no, like that? It's horrible. And, yeah. and, 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 and I'm kind of surprised, you know, people were, I thought were a little bit more PC back in these days, but like they went into detail, like bits of brain everywhere. I mean, like oh, detailed. I, I cut that out of my article, but anyway, so, uh, so he's devastated. I mean, he just killed his wife and, and, you know, some people might go, well, it wasn't an accident. I don't know. I don't know. And you weren't I mean, there. You don't I know what there, the relationship no idea. was like. Yeah. And, and you know, it wasn't like he, he needed or wanted something. So he needed to have her out of the picture or anything like that. It seemed like for two years, everything was going swimmingly with that. Yeah. My, my whole question is like, if that happens nowadays, that guy's probably going to jail, isn't he? Even if it is an accident or, or not, I don't know. Oh. I, I think absolutely. I think that it's be, at least they do it a coroner's inquest, right? Yeah. And and then and take it to a grand jury. Um, because it could be involuntary manslaughter. Um, they didn't do things like that back in the day, especially when he had money. Right. So he I mean, he was I, I really do believe after reading so many accounts of this that he was totally devastated. So he it, it was awful. So it this they say this is what really threw him off for a while. And I was just like, I, I can't, I mean, it would throw me off too. And they didn't have therapy back in these days. No, no. Back um, then the therapy was booze. Exactly. I mean, yeah, seriously. Like I, I know what to solve this. Yeah. Morphine. Whiskey and poisons. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So anyway, he, uh, they, they didn't do a coroner's inquest. They just, the guy went, well, it's pretty obvious what happened here. Cause of death, shotgun accident. Done. Done. So that was it. Moving on. And so he was not. And so right when he's just getting out of his funk from, from what I understand, it's like nine months later, like almost to the day. And he received some pretty sad news um, on November 8th of 1883. So this was, you know, his wife dies in January of 1883 and in November of 1883 um, Sands deceased wife's family. So they were from Kentucky, but they were living in, you know, independence. Um, his name was H. Clay Pate, Henry Clay Pate. Yes. Why was his name different than his wife's name? Yeah, good question. It, H. Clay, Clay Pate McGee is like kind of how his name went. Gotcha. So in any case, he, uh, he was not, it, he apparently was a rough and tumble kind of guy, wasn't the best guy in the whole wide world. And he, you know, the newspapers reported at one point he shot a man, killed him in, in Kentucky. And actually I was there. He did. He shot and killed a guy named Metcalf, no less. Wow. Um, anyway, so he was in, oh, by the way, it was a political argument, our, sure our argument yeah. over, yeah, politics. Mm -hmm. So in any case, he is, you know, tr he's traveling back and forth from Missouri and Kentucky, he, he ends up in independence. And one day his youngest children are at school and they come home from school and they lived in a very isolated, not a farm. Um, they come home from school and they go into the house and they, everybody's dead. So 
his wife, Clay's wife, if you will, she is dead from a shotgun to the chest. And then laying right by her is her older daughter. So Fanny's sister shot in the back. And then upstairs, they found her dad had taken poison and killed himself. Oh, my. So it was murder-suicide. <laughs> so, it, I mean, how awful is that? I mean, it, again, you just look at this and go, how is this kind of stuff happening? I, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. And, you know, at, at that point, the Kansas City, Stars, Kansas City Times starts writing, there was just no excuse after that. Uh, I mean, it, Sands was gambling and drinking and he, his, how much money he was spending. It was just, it was downhold spiral by this point. So there was no quick, you know, marriage and have children and happily ever after in this story. So he goes down that, you know, the path of women Mm -hmm. and gambling and, and booze. And and that's how he makes the headlines for the rest of his life. It's not good. No, it it isn't. Anytime you go down that route, even now, you know, you're not going to probably come out smelling like a rose on the other side of all of this. And so now that he's lost his wife, now that he's lost his in-laws and his sister-in-law and all this, there's not much left for this guy. So he's just kind of just like says the, the hell with this and just kind of starts traveling and going to Europe and coming back and doing whatever he wants and kind of living like this wild life that I think if you look at it now, you're like, eh, it's kind of nice to have the opportunity to do that kind of stuff. But this guy was really messed up. He never really recovered from these deaths. No, he really didn't. And and you're right. He, he did. Uh, his uncle kind of took him under his wing and he had originally like lived you know, all over the place. He was living in hotels, like I said before. And his uncle had had extensive land holdings, which were also in Sands' name because of the inheritance. Yeah. And on Quality Hill, I mean, this wasn't like, you know, the crap neighborhood. This was the rich neighborhood. And it was right by Kersey Coates' house. And um, essentially, the, they, they had a, this big block of land. And the address is between 418 and 424. So it was massive Victorian, these gorgeous two and a half story, just like you picture it with the gingerbread um, houses. And it was two large buildings. They were actually apartments, if you want to call it that. They called it, a, you know, like a hotel, but it, mm-hmm. it was like, it was like rent by the month kind of thing, but like fancy rent by the month. So um, they live there. So that's, uh, that's where essentially he lived for the rest of his life along with his uncle. And so 418 West 10th Street. So like right in the heart of Quality Hill. And the place was being run by two sisters. One of them's name was Hattie Calvert. So she's running this facility for the family, if you will. And they're, you know, I mean, they all have their own private rooms. This is like, they had like, you know, the dinner bell. And this makes me think of, you know, like Downton Abbey stuff. They had the dinner bell and people came down in the full, like formal attire for dinner. Like it was a fancy, fancy place. Did the food match what you had a dress as too? Or (laughs) did you just get like gruel back in the day? I'm assuming it was it was good food because they were certainly hiring lots of people to work at this place, laundresses and wow. maids, chambermaids. I mean, they had everything. It was really fancy. And so you, you said he, he did. He traveled extensively in Europe. He went with Thomas Swope to Europe, who also, by the way, was probably murdered. <laughs> like, totally separate, though. And um, he went to Europe with him. He went to Europe with Kersey Coates, wife. George Caleb Bingham's widow, who was, uh, you know, was Johnson Lycan's widow. Too. So this guy was basically traveling to Europe with all the debutantes of the day in Kansas City. The richest people in Kansas yeah. City. Yeah. And so you, that tells you his, his status at this point. But also, how much are they willing to put up with is my next question. Because, you know, like, these are the kind of people that, you know, they're not going to be okay with you coming home sloppy drunk. Either. Right. So it's kind of hard to know, you know, what that was going on. 
but his his rooms were decorated with flowers and Italian art and even the list because I see seen a list of the stuff he had he had like you know statue a marble statue of Athena I mean like this was not like little stuff he had uh-huh. real big fancy stuff and so he didn't ever really have a job which I mean shocking right, right. and so he kind of did his thing and he kept going to Europe and all of this and then it just a ami- just at a, I would say it just was a downward, downward spir- spiral after these deaths that he ends up the, one of the residents of the boarding house, if you will, on quality Hill, this guy, last name is Gavin. He, and you know, I think after, after they had the cigars in the parlor and some whiskey, they, they gamble. I mean, that's uh-huh. what they did. Sure. And they all had sure. money to spend. And so essentially they, apparently one night, they, you know, he lost and fans was uh, out 400 bucks, which is a lot of money back then. And so uh, Gavin wanted his money and he kind of quietly said, I don't want to make this public. You know, I just need you to pay me. And that just set off sands and he goes crazy. He comes after dinner time. <laughs> this is so bad. He's, he grabs a, a Smith and Wesson after dinner time. And he just casually goes up and opens up the door where this Gavin character is. And he just puts the gun right up to his face. Says this was going to happen when you you know threaten me. If you expose me, I'm going to kill you. Usually, it's the other way around. When a dude owes somebody money, it's the guy who's going to collect that comes out with the gun, not the guy who owes that comes out with the gun. Right. I mean, and who knows about the debt? I mean, I kind of think looking at some of the the information that's out there, I kind of think that maybe Sands didn't remember he had lost so much money. Like mm-hmm. he, it happened when he was trashed, if you will. Yeah. And yeah. so, I mean, he really might've believed that he didn't owe him any money. I bet he owed him money though. So, and he, so. <laughs> so anyway, he disappears and, um, and then like comes back later, like after he's had more to drink and he puts the gun back up to this guy's head and there's a tussle. Oh, he had a whip in his hand, a whip in one hand. And by the way, that's also in his probate file. Whips, mm-hmm. whips, whips, whips in his hand and his Smith and Wesson the other. And he whips the guy and like hits him in the face. And then goes after him with the gun and shoots the gun off in the middle of this quality hill, which would have been like, there's no gunshots. That's, that's gunshots in Leewood. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. Sure. No. <laughs> like, no way. And so, like, it makes the newspaper headlines for obvious reasons, because this is quality hill and this kind of stuff doesn't happen. And Sands is always a good story. So, and it, it, it was bad. So, so and actually, something I didn't include in the article is that Sands and um, Gavin ended up going to the the Kansas City Times office, like practically hands in hands. They must have made a deal and been like, we got to put we got to bury this. And so they went and said, just so you know, we are fine. We are friends. So the star reports like, and so they say they're friends now. Uh (laughs) Oh, yeah, we've made up, you know, it's just a misunderstanding, all that kind of stuff. I shoot guns at your friends all the time, right? Yeah, exactly. With well, a whip. Then, <laughs> with a whip. Yeah, I always have a whip on hand. Uh-huh. You know, these teenagers. So in three weeks later, three weeks later, the gun comes up again. So he had, I guess, the, the uh, there was a facility like a carriage house that would have been where people boarded their horses that didn't want to actually take care of their horses, you mm-hmm. know, um, like fancy car washes or whatever. So, so essentially, um, he went to the carriage house that had a clerk in it that would stay overnight and, you know, watch the horses and all that. And he goes to retrieve his horse at midnight. And I, this, is a, this is a great quote. The clerk sees how drunk he is. And he says, he reminds Sands that he was too much under the influence to go writing. 
Oh, wow. <laughs> Even back in the day, we're preventing people from going riding after they've been drinking, huh? Yeah, it's like early. Yeah. Like, I think you might get a driving your carriage under the influence. Yeah, you're too so drunk to ride, ride the We're, we're going to have to hold your horse for now. <laughs> uh, is that where the term hold your horses came from? Maybe. I don't know. We should look into that. <laughs> so, so anyway, he goes in after the guy. And so Sans is angry. And he's like, you can't tell me what to do. You should apologize. And the guy's like, no. So he, so Sans disappears. This guy calls on the police and says, I'm afraid of Sans Hopkins. I'm sure the police are like, yeah. Yes, yeah. we all you know, are. We, yeah. we know. Yeah. Um, and so they essentially said they'd come and check it out. So Sans comes back this time with his gun and he puts it to the clerk's head and demands an apology. And at that point, of course, this guy, I think Sans was so wasted he ends up with a black eye. He's so wasted that the clerk, you know, takes him over pretty easy. I don't know if I would have wrestled with somebody with a gun, but it's a different era. Yeah, different and, era. <laughs> and the police show up and they arrest him. And he spends the night in jail and he paid a $200 fine the next day. And he muttered under his breath in court. He wasn't going to fight it, but he's like, that's fine is absurd. Like, that's so much money. <laughs> like, okay, buddy. Yeah, 200 then, bucks you got out of a lot for $200. Yeah, and then he, he actually went to the chief of police shortly thereafter and asked for his gun back. And the, the chief was like, I think I'm going to hold on to this for a while. Probably <laughs> he, for the best. Probably for the best. And all of this happens, you know, pretty early. This is 18, June of 1887. And then that's just, the, again, downward spiral. All of a sudden, he decides he's going to go to Europe. Like, and this is summer of 1887, so not too much time later. But he's so paranoid and he's so wasted all the time that he decides he's going to hire a bodyguard <laughs> to take him to Europe with him. Good idea. No, but the reason's even better. Because I think he thinks in his mind, everybody's taking advantage of him, which I do believe people did. But at the same time, like, the reasons were pretty ridiculous. So he hires a guy who was familiar in the sporting circles as a wrestler or a you know boxer and mm-hmm. his name was it was edwin or ed, ed hickman and he hires him to go with him to europe and there are some reports that say he gave him up to ten thousand dollars other reports say 100 bucks a month plus all your expenses paid you're gonna be in the lap of luxury so they head off to new york and then there's like a tussle outside of a hotel in new york and he makes headlines in new york because of this i mean this thing. guy's a menace everywhere he it's goes a, it's a, it was really bad and, and it, don't you know who i am Which no no no, <laughs> no we don't this no. is new york city on broadway we don't know who you are and um in, in any case he he takes this guy with him because he says hickman was instructed to slug any person or persons who might incur the displeasure of mr hopkins on his tour it's like okay so they go to europe they only are there now you know they took a minute to cross the pond back yeah home. you're taking a boat you weren't flying six hours from new york and calling this is a couple day. of weeks yeah i mean not a couple i mean it takes like a week um they get to europe they say six days oh god that's a quick turnaround i would like it's hard to go to europe now for six days yeah i've been for three one time that was ridiculous so who goes case, to europe for three days well my dad was a pilot oh that's true yeah so i went to uh to my dad like Gave me a day's notice. Said, "Look, let's go to London." It was yeah. great. Okay, it was really cool. fun. Yeah, get yeah. on Euston Road and everything. In any case, so he is, um, you know, he's supposed to take this large tour in Europe, and even Sands's friends were gambling about whether or not, like, so you think Hickman's coming back alive? <laughs> like, let's make bets on it. <laughs> like, Sands did come back with Hickman, and then tried to squash the headlines and said, "You know, he we've been friends for years." Yeah, okay, sure, yeah, sure. Right, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, you're friends with a boxer. 
about that. About mm-hmm. so, in any case, uh, he goes back to the you know to the boarding house where he had lived, uh, you know, on Tenth Street, and I mean, he's just he's a mess, and he stays like less than a day, and then he goes down to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and immediately is like thousands of dollars in debt down there for you know gambling, and then even had diamonds stolen from him supposedly. I mean, it was just it, just the guy wreck. So he comes back to Kansas City and within days, it's now right before Christmas, December 13th, 1887. He goes into the parlor at 418 West 10th Street and Hattie Calvert, the one who runs the place, is in the parlor and he's super wasted. And he had threatened suicide before, but everyone's like, yeah, whatever. whatever. Man. And his uncle was trying to keep a close eye on him, but how do you I mean, there's only so much you can do. There's no like therapy. There's no issue. He sh- somebody should have taken all that liquor from him. But mm-hmm. and he just walks into the parlor and says, "I want to tell everybody. I want to testify to the world that I have uh, never wronged anybody but myself." And he says it super dramatically. And and Hattie's like, "Okay." And then without any word, he just opens up this little bottle and he just shoots it and says, "I have taken poison." He screams it. And honestly, the people in the parlor, along with Hattie, are like, okay, buddy. Sure you did. Sure you did. Like, go to bed. You're drunk. And so they didn't really take him seriously. And then he fell going up the stairs and then realized, no, he really did. He really did dose. He killed. Yeah, he took some poison. He was going to kill himself. So his uncle comes out of his room, calls for a doctor, and he says, he says to his fans that you have to take an emetic, which is supposed to, you know, like, make you throw up. Make you puke, yeah. Yeah. And so you you got to take this, and and Stanford's like, I'm not taking it. I want to die. And his uncle said that he's going to call the police, and they're going to force him to take it. And I guess that made him it made him, he took sure, it. Sure, yeah. So he started throwing up, and they and everybody really thought he was going to be okay. Like this is, and there were some reports that he had tried this before and unsuccessfully. And, but unfortunately, at, at like nine o'clock the next morning, this fell unconscious and died. I mean, just like that. And this is. This life made in the headlines, 18, you know, starting in the 1870s into 1887 when he died, he was 28 years old. Oh my God. That's so young for all of that that he was able to quote unquote accomplish, you know, back in. He was right. 28 years old when he died. I'm thinking about when I was 28, no way I would have lived life even close to that. But again, back then was so different because you didn't have many years to live, you know? Yeah, you didn't have a lot of years to live, and, and nor do you accidentally shoot your wife and have very little support. You've right. already lost your parents. You're, you're, all you have, family-wise, is your uncle. Your right. uncle is, you know, kind of holding your money hostage, but, you know, giving an allowance every once in a while. And his uncle had declared, and I like that, said, had his wife lived, he would have been a different man. And so, and Hattie Calvert, the lady who took over the, you know, the boarding house there, she said he died of a broken heart because yeah. he, he had made a wreck of himself. And it, it, it's, it's a terrible story, right? I mean, but and it all started with the ghost on the levy. Well, yeah, but so how do we get back to the ghosts then? Do, did we ever find out who these ghosts were? No, you, you know, don't know, don't know. But I mean, it's a great ghost story for, you know, this time period and what we're doing. I think that uh, it goes to show that you just never know what's working around the corner. It's pretty crazy to think about some of the things that went on in our town years and years ago. Over a hundred years ago, we saw the first ghost in Kansas City. People saddled up, tried to capture it, and it led to a lifetime of debauchery and ended in tragedy. That's the latest on Two States, One Story with me, Bob Fesco, and Diane Houston.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 